Libby, my sweet, beautiful friend. My wonderful, wonderful, kind, hilarious friend. Talented, wise, observant friend. I love you so much. <laughs> I feel so filled with love towards you. Is that weird? No, it's not weird. I really appreciate our friendship. And I have so many things to tell you today because drama, drama. <laughs> I'm the drama, I think. I think I'm the drama. I mean, I think I've concluded that I'm the drama. Um, And you know what? The thing is, is that I'm not trying to be the drama. But like for other people, they're just like, oh, that's too much. And then I'm the drama. So anyway, um, but you know what? Whatever. Uh, it's, I am who I am. Um, I was reading, so, uh, okay, I don't know, I'm gonna bounce all over the place. I'm gonna probably forget a bunch of stuff and then probably remember later and then tell you then, so bear with me. <laughs> um, I don't know what time it is where you are, but I'll tell you where, what's going on right now. It's Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. It's 5.24pm. I'm sitting on my couch. And, um, Jared has left. Jared has a fire meeting today. He's going to the fire station to play, to play, <laughs> to work and play with his friends and coworkers. Um, so I'm here alone talking to you. And thank you for listening. Um, I would love to talk to you, actually, with a conversation, but for now I'll just blabber about myself so yeah he's going to work I'm by myself um yesterday I made great progress I was like yo you don't need to watch I have been watching the Simpsons like nonstop. it's on Disney plus and I'm just like yo I can just watch it one after the other and it's great I love it I'm in like I'm, I'm I'm enchanted by it but then I'm just like oh then I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my god, Monica, you are Lisa Simpson. You and Lisa Simpson are the same person. For the most part. Anyway, so, but then I'm just like, you need to stop. Like, stop watching TV. If you don't wa stop watching TV, you're never going to do anything else. So, I was re the point is, I was productive yesterday and I read, I actually read my Bible study book. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, I've perused it before and I've like, skimmed it and kind of just skipped over things but I actually sat down and read it the chapters that we need to read for the next time and it's she's talking about friendship and I'm just like oh dude I feel I, I know I'm a terrible friend and maybe I'm not a terrible friend to you Libby because I love you so much that it's easy for me to good be a good friend and maybe that's a terrible thing for me to say because it's not like I don't appreciate my other friends because I do but for some reason it's just harder to reach out it's harder I can't. I can't reach out to do anything, let's be honest. Like, I can't call anywhere. I don't call, I don't do anything to call anyone to do anything for things that I need to do, like scheduling myself an appointment. Don't do that either. So it's like, no, I don't mean any offense by not contacting, but I think my thoughts contain my friends a lot. So maybe that's why I feel connected when I'm not. But anyway, I, basically what I got out of the friendship chapter was be the friend you want to have. And I think I do that. I hope. 
I mean, sometimes I'm probably a better friend than other other moments, but I don't know. I, I apologize for if for all my faux pas and friendship. And I really do appreciate your sticking with me through it. So, and listening and conversing, you know? Anyway, connecting. Um, so anyway, I guess beyond that, the juicy bit that happened today was at work, which, ugh. But you know who is always good and who actually I'm just like, I'm not leaving Zach. I can't leave Zach. So here's the here's the drama. Here's the drama. Um. So Seth Seth comes to my desk today, and is like, "So you don't want to be on our team?" And I was like, "What?" Basically, I, this is like a summarization of our conversation. Because honestly, any conversation I have, I don't remember it word for word unless it really grinds my gears, you know. And then I notice word for word, but. Anyway, so somewhere, somehow, these things happened in whatever sequence they happened in. Imagine with me. He comes to my desk and basically is like, you don't want to come back to our team. And I'm like, literally, yes and no. I can't do it again. It's too traumatic. Like, it was traumatizing to be ripped away from you. Now I've established myself here. It would be traumatizing to rip me away again. Plus, like, I feel like these people need me more than you do. Honestly, no offense. But I'm just like, um, and I'm making progress, I think. Because some of these people, like, never thought a thought, thought this thought, and I've thought the thought, and I say, I think this think. I think the think, and I thought the thought, and they're like, I hate it. I'm never, I don't like the idea. It's a terrible idea. The, the, you thought the thought, but you thought wrong. You know, that's the vibe I get. Anyway, we're going to get there. Um, so I'm just like, bro, why are you doing this to me? You're traumatizing me by making me feel bad. Like you guys hate me. Like you guys think that I hate you to say, no, I don't want to come back. But I'm just like, honestly, I, I, if it weren't for Zach, if they take Zach away from me, then I'll be like, sure. Because Ruby needs a... There's, like, this other team, Ruby, that someone left, and they're like, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they would dissolve our team, though. Our our team needs to work on Florida. Florida stuff. So, Florida's our business. It's... And it's a, it's a tough cookie if you're... Uh, it's a tough one. But it's an important one because our current software, we have, like, customers that are in Florida. So it's important that our new version of the software supports these people pr- properly. And we're like creating everything from scratch. And da, 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 nobody, like, I don't know, not that nobody go- knows what's going on, but like there's no documentation. We're like, you, we're, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's freaking weird. It's, it's uh, frustrating, but it's like, how, how, how do we accomplish and what are we trying to accomplish? But Anyway, so we've got deadlines for these for these projects in order to get our customers converted and stuff. And so Florida is our big priority. Well, yeah, I understand that. And guess what? I've been working on getting Florida ready. So anyway, I've been doing that for the past couple months on my new team. And it would feel like, I'm just like, can I just fr- finish a state? Stop ripping me out. You know what I mean? Anyway, so the juice is that I felt 
which Seth is a drama queen sometimes. You know what, Seth? You're a drama queen. Stop being a drama queen. I think he was feeling dramatic and he has to speak his piece to me. And but then I was like, what the hell? So after our meeting today, I went and talked to Clavin because I was like, Clavin needs to know what the hell is going on. And I'm going to tell him what I think is going on. And he can make his own observations. And it seems like we agree for the most part on what's going on. So I love it. I love the support. So I go to him and I'm like, just so you know, this happened and it made me feel away. <laughs> when Seth did this, it made me feel like this. And I was like, I was like, seriously, why? Why are you doing this to me? Like, making me feel bad and stuff. But, um, also, back, if we take a step back then, to retro. Retro is a meeting to make, to look back and see what we've done and where we want to be and what we've done that's successful and what we should keep doing and also things that aren't successful and things we should stop doing in order to change our processes efficiently to get things done. And also to be better, to work together better. Like, you, you know what I mean? To work as a team better. And I'm just like, dude, I suggested, I, I suggested we do a personality test. Oh my God. The biggest deal. This is a terrible idea. Um, Scott claims this is a terrible idea because he does not want us to know about his personal life. And I'm just like. Bro, do you understand that a per- your personality is not the same thing as, like, your personal life? It's literally who you are. And we've observed who you are, and we've observed your personality, okay? And just, oh my god, relax. Drama. The drama that you create out of this situation, sure, take it. Per- I'm trying to help you be better. Like, honestly, I feel like... Am I, like, the most... I feel like an arrogant person being like, look at how much I've gotten done, okay? Compared to what you've gotten done, I've gotten done a lot more stuff. Not... You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, who who consistently gets more done and is contributing, if we're going to be honest, to getting Florida done. I've done a lot of Florida stuff lately, okay? And then I've also done Kansas stuff. And then we've also got Michigan. And these are all... These are all states that they've done before and have to support. And I'm just like, okay. Also, yes, I asked a question. At some point, Scott mentioned that we talked about this. Like, honestly, I feel like it's repeating itself. Repeating, repeating, repeating is like we keep saying the same things and nothing changes. Like, how can we be better? We ask. But, like... We never get better. What's the what's the rub? Well, we have to ask questions up front. Well, how do we do? You know what I mean? Like we understand what we need to do. It's just so they nobody do nobody do. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just like trying to prevent us from digging ourselves into a deeper hole. And I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing because I've never actually finished one of these things and rolled it out and whatever. But then Aaron was also like, okay, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't like it, but if you want to do that, yeah, I guess. Maybe if the team wants to do it, sure, we can do it. But I personally don't like that idea. I'm just like, why? Because you're afraid that 
you're going to be called out for who you are? Bro. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. We all work together. We all need to learn how to work together, okay? Yeah. I'd love to know in a stereotypical way how you are. And I would love for you to know in a stereotypical way how I am, okay? <laughs> Is this like the worst thing ever that you take 10 minutes out of your day when you're not doing uh, presumably anything to take a little Quizlet? Well, a Quizlet is fun. Like, who doesn't love a good Quizlet? Okay, well, whatever. So I found the Quizlet and I had Zach taken. I was reading, I'm like, sure enough, that's Zach. When I read the thing about me, I'm like, sure enough, that's me. I mean, obviously, there's some things that hitch, like, that are very striking. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. But there are other things that are like, meh, maybe. Take it or leave it, because obviously, a personality test is not, like, your DNA or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even then, if you want to talk DNA, you can talk nature versus nurture, and I'm just like, can I be a bad person and be like, hmm, I can observe some cycles. And the thing is, is that I, I observe cycles in my own life, in my own family, and I'm not proud of it, but I can observe it and be self-aware and be like, yes, I'm repeating this cycle or no, I'm breaking this cycle. And it's interesting. It's really interesting to think about. But anyway, so that's the juice, <laughs> that's the juice from work. It's so juicy lately. Like why? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, but I don't know how much more, I, I wonder if before I can just spout these things out loud and be like, this is how I feel. Because I kind of am, but I'm trying to be nice about it. I'm trying to be professional. But how, sometimes I'm like, come on now. Are you even listening? Do you listen to yourself talk either? Like, yo. Yo. Anyway, if you consistently are told that you're a bit of a dick, as Scott says, then what do you have to learn about it, baby? Your baby boy? Or is it because you're a child, a young child who doesn't look look on life and learn? Hasn't had many opportunities to do such. I do not know. But frankly, when it comes to work, I'm just like, you'd thunk that you've had enough work opportunities if you've actually like, you've been on a team, you've started working on the state, then you finished doing the state, and then, yeah, you move on. Uh, but other people is I think I suspect that it's like other people doing most of the work, and I have an unfortunate suspicion that maybe Aaron shouldn't be our principal. But I'm not saying that to I'm not saying that to anyone. No, I didn't just say it to you. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I just I don't know. Aaron, you rubbed me the wrong way. Sometimes. And you know who else rubs me the wrong way sometimes? Jason. Because sometimes I'm just like, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? Um, Like, I understand what you're saying, but also I feel like what you're saying is rude. But whatever. Anyway, I know it's not super rude, but I'm just like, huh, watch what you say, buddy. The Your terminology, I don't like to be like, oh, women and children. It's like, okay, I get it. Women and children, like generally civilians, people who aren't drafted to go to the war. But also, what, like literally every man. And then is that to assume that women aren't capable of fighting back or fighting for themselves? You know, obviously children, like innocent people. Yes, 
innocent people have died. Many, young and old. I don't know. Anyway, so that's all I have to say about that. Because I'm just like, what other word is that? I don't know what word there is. Civilians, I so to speak. But like, I'm not trying. Okay, I don't know. I'm not trying to get political. But you know what, Jason this is just manipulating me. But I'm just like, hmm. Interesting. But he was just walking around trying to find someone to go to the job fair with him. And I was like, no, I'm not really interested. And then, actually, that was because I went to his desk to ask him about the personality test. And he asked me about the job fair. I was like, no, thank you. And then (laughs) later in the day, he was coming by looking for someone for the job fair. He stopped on my desk, was talking to me. This is when this happened. And then Chase was there. And he asked Chase, and Chase didn't want to do anything. So I was like, that's hilarious. It's so funny. I love it. Anyway, okay. I've been spouting on for a lot. And I feel like these stories just getting good. So I should jump right in. But I do think that I covered all the topics that I wanted to cover. Oh, this is a long chapter. How many pages is it? Usually I suss these things beforehand. But this is chapter 15 of Harry Potter. And the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. It starts on page 284 in my book. Ends on page 310. All right. We're in for it. So, chapter 15 is called The Goblin's Revenge. I think I'm feeling better, but I definitely still have some illness. So bear with me as per usual. Okay. The Goblin's Revenge. In the chapter R, it's very dark and it's kind of spooky looking. It's like creepy, very creepy, actually. Um, very contrasting, too. So we've got two presumably goblins sitting at a fire, a campfire, in the woods. The fire looks magical, of course. Why would you, why would you make a manual fire? Why did you make a manual fire of your magic? Right, of course. But is magic fire the... How is magic fire? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. These these things would... Well, all right. Anyway. So we've got a quite a bright white spot with our fire. And there's some stones around it and behind the fire. So maybe it's the shadows and it's creepy. They got, the goblins are creepy looking. They're, they look... Okay, you know in movies when someone's, like, possessed and then their whole entire eye is, like, black. And it's just spooky. It's just, like, a spooky looking. But they have black eyes. And they have very long fingers. And they have long ears and long noses and long pointy chins. And, um, one of them, the one sitting on the right, is wearing a top hat. (laughs) And maybe eating din-din. I don't know. It looks like a girl cheese. He looks like he's holding maybe, I don't know, something. A piece of bread or something. And like a plate underneath it. All right. Early next morning, before the other two were awake, Harry left the tent to search the woods around them for the oldest, most gnarled and resilient-looking tree he could find. There in the shadow, he buried Mad-Eye Moody's eye and marked the spot by gouging a small cross in the bark with his wand. It was not much, but Harry felt that Mad-Eye would have much pref- would much preferred this to being stuck on Dolores Umbridge's door. 
Then he returned to the tent to wait for the others to wake and discuss what they were going to do next. Harry and Hermione felt that it was best not to stay anywhere too long, and Ron agreed. With the sole proviso, proviso, (laughs) I don't know, words are really hard for me sometimes. With the sole proviso that their next move took them within reach of a bacon sandwich. Ooh, a bacon sandwich. Like, just bacon? Or is this like a BLT? Mm, that sounds good, actually. That is a bacon sandwich. That's good. Hermione therefore removed the enchantments she had placed around the clearing, while Harry and Ron obliterated all the marks and impressions on the ground that might show they had camped there. Then they disapparated to the outskirts of a small market town. Once they had pitched the tent in the shelter of a small copse of trees and surrounded it with freshly cast defensive enchantments, Harry ventured out under the invisibility cloak to find sustenance. This, however, did not go as planned. He had barely entered the town when an unnatural chill, a descending mist, and a sudden darkening of the skies made him freeze where he stood. But you can make a brilliant patroness, patronus, damn it, protested Ron when Harry arrived back at the tent empty-handed, out of breath, and mouthing the single word, Dementors. I couldn't make one, he panted, clutching the stitch in his side. Wouldn't come. Their expressions of consternation and disappointment made Harry feel ashamed. It had been a nightmarish experience seeing the Dementors gliding out of the mist in the darkness, I'm sorry, in the distance, and realizing as the paralyzing cold choked his lungs and a distant screaming filled his ears that he was not able to be able to protect, he was not going to be able to protect himself. It had taken all Harry's willpower to uproot himself from the spot and run, leaving the eyeless Dementors to glide amongst the muggles who might not be able to see them but would assuredly feel the despair they class they cast wherever they went. So we still haven't got any food. Shut up, Ron, snapped Hermione. Harry, what happened? Why do you think you couldn't make your patron patroness? Patronum. Specto patronum. Patronus. Patro- patron. Patro- I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. You managed perfectly yesterday. I don't know. He sat low in one of (laughs) Perkins' old armchairs, feeling more humiliated by the moment. He was afraid that something had gone wrong inside him. Yesterday seemed a long time ago. Today he might have been thirteen years old again, the only one who collapsed on the Hogwarts Express. Ron kicked a chair leg. What? he snarled at Hermione. I'm starving. All I've had since I bled half to death is a couple of toadstools. You go and fight your way through the Dementors, then, said Harry, stung. I would, but my arm's in a sling, in case you hadn't noticed. That's convenient. And what's that supposed to... Of course, cried Hermione, clapping a hand to her forehead and startling both of them into silence. Harry, give me the locket. Come on, she said impatiently, clicking her fingers at him when he did not react. The Horcrux, Harry, you're still wearing it. She held out her hands and Harry lifted the golden chain over his head. The moment it parted contact with Harry's skin, he felt free and oddly light. 
He had not even realized that he was clammy or that there was a heavy weight pressing on his stomach until both sensations lifted. Better? asked Hermione. Yeah, loads better. Harry, she said, crouching down in front of him and using the kind of voice he associated with visiting the very sick. You don't think you've been possessed, do you? What? No, he said defensively. I remember everything we've done while I've been wearing it. I wouldn't know what I'd done if I'd been possessed, would I? Ginny told me there were times when she couldn't remember anything. Hmm, said Hermione, looking down at the heavy gold locket. Well, maybe we ought not to wear it. We can just keep it in the tent. We are not leaving that horcrux lying around, Harry stated firmly. If we lose it, if it gets stolen... Oh, all right, all right, said Hermione. And she placed it around her own neck and tucked it out of sight down the front of her shirt. But we'll take turns wearing it so nobody keeps it on too long. Great, said Ron irritably. And now we've sorted that out. Can we please get some food? Fine, but we'll go somewhere else to find it, said Hermione with half a glance at her hey, at Harry. There's no point staying where we know Dementors are swooping around. In the end, they settled down for the night in a far-flung field. <laughs> a far-flung field! Belonging to a lonely farm! From which they had managed to obtain eggs and bread. It's not, Okay, honestly, can I ask these questions? I have many questions. First of all, why are we wearing the locket against our skin? Why are we doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing that? Put it, like, put it around your neck, but then put it in your pocket. Or, like, put it not against your skin. Okay, does that make a difference? I know it's around your neck and it's still close to you. But also, why are you letting it touch your skin? Ew. Spooky. Creepy. Anyway. Then, second of all, I... Why is everyone looking at Hermione to make food? She does literally everything else. Okay? Boom. Just because she's a girl? I don't know. Or because she does everything else. But also, why did my girl just um, borrow... I don't know. How do you convert? Can you convert back from wizard money to muggle money? Why don't you just have a muggle money and then go to the muggle grocery store and get some muggle food and then eat that? Is that wrong? Okay, because you could buy produce. Okay, that's very dramatic. Now, anyway. Anyway. Eggs and bread. You could do that. You could buy that at the grocery store. Go ahead and do it. Are you, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. It's not stealing, is it? asked Hermione in a troubled voice as they devoured scrambled eggs on toast. Not if I left some money under the chicken coop? Ron rolled his eyes and said with his cheeks bulging, Hermione, ooh worry, ooh much, relax. And indeed, it was much easier to relax when they were coming, when they were, when they were yes, of course, it is easy. Well, no, so it's not even, <laughs> comfortably well fed. The argument about Dementors was forgetful in laughter that night, and Harry felt cheerful, even hopeful, as he took the first of the three night watches. This was their first encounter with the fact that a full stomach meant good spirits, an empty one bickering and gloom. Surely, honestly, that's how I feel, hangry. Yes, yes, food. Food's very important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Harry was le... Ooh, speaking of food, it's almost six o'clock, and he's curled up in a ball now, but I feel he's gonna attack. <laughs> so we better get this done. <laughs> ah. 
We'll see, though. He seems sleepy, so maybe he'll just keep sleeping. We'll see. I will dare not say his name if you know. <laughs> he must not be named in my house. Or shall he be activated? The cat. Yes. I feel he might know that word, too. But mm, we'll see. Anyway, where, 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 where was I? Harry was least surprised by this because he had suffered periods of near starvation at the Dursleys. Ooh, he just stretched and made a groan. I think we're in for the long haul. Hermione bore up reasonably well on those nights when they managed to scavenge nothing but berries or stale biscuits. Her temper, perhaps, a little shorter than usual, and her silences rather dour. Ron, however, had always been used to three delicious meals a day, courtesy of his mother or of the Hogwarts house elves, and hunger made him both unreasonable and irascible. Whenever lack of food coincided with Ron's turn to wear the Horcrux, he became downright unpleasant. Hashtag me too. So where next was his constant refrain? He did not seem to have any ideas himself, but expected Harry and Hermione to come up with plans while he sat and brooded over the low food supplies. Accordingly, Harry and Hermione spent fruitless hours trying to decide where they might find the other Horcruxes and how to destroy the one they had already got, their conversations becoming increasingly repetitive as they had no new information. Um, so all the books you brought with you, you've already read all of them, and you know all the information inside of them. Is that what you're telling me? But I guess horcruxes are not... Well, anyway, I don't know. Just saying. Now, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? As Dumbledore had told Harry that he believed Voldemort had hidden the Horcruxes in places important to him. They kept reciting, in a sort of dreary litany, those locations they knew that Voldemort had lived or visited. The orphanage where he had been born and raised. Hogwarts where he had been educated. Borgen and Burks where he had work, worked after completing school. <coughs> Ooh, I inhaled wrong. You know what? Sometimes I'm like that. Like, literally today I was like... Why can't I inhale? I can't breathe. Oh, feels dangerous sometimes. Okay. Oh, do I have pneumonia? Ooh, spooky. Okay, let's not think about that. Oh, I'll investigate that thought later. That's very dramatic. I don't feel like I have that. I don't know. <coughs> Is that how it feels? I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. I keep coughing in your ear. I try to turn away, but I know it's very loud. I'm so very sorry. Okay. Okay, Borgen and Burks, where he had worked after completing school, then Albania, where he had spent his years of exile. These formed the basis of their speculations. Slurp. And there goes the last of my blueberry lemonade. Maybe not, there's one more swig. It's like backwash sauce, so I'm gonna drink it real quick. Well, that was a decent swig. Okay. Anyway. I keep losing my Old. Ride, 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 Albania, years of exile, speculation. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Albania. Shouldn't take more than an afternoon to search an entire country, said Ron sarcastically. There can't be anything there. He'd already made five of his horcruxes before he went into exile, and Dumbledore is certain the snake is the sixth, said Hermione. We know the snake's not in Albania. It's usually with Vol. Didn't I ask you to stop saying that? Fine. The 
The snake is usually with you-know-who. Happy? Not particularly. I can't see him hiding anything at Borgen and Burke, said Harry, who had made his, this point many times before, but said it again simply to break the nasty silence. Borgen and Burke were experts at dark objects. They would have recognized a horcrux straight away. Her- oh, hoo ha ha Ron yawned pointedly. Repressing a strong urge to throw something at him, Harry plowed on. I still reckon he might have hidden something at Hogwarts. Hermione sighed. But Dumbledore would have found it, Harry. Harry repeated the argument he kept bringing out in favor of of this theory. Dumbledore said in front of me that he never assumed he knew all of Hogwarts' secrets. I'm telling you, if there was one place Vol- Oi! You know who, then, Harry shouted, goaded past endurance. If there was one place that was really important to you-know-who, it was Hogwarts. Oh, come on, scoffed Ron. His school? Yeah, his school. It was his first real home, the place that meant he was special. It meant everything to him. And even after he left, this is you-know-who we're talking about, right? Not you, inquired Ron. Ron, how rude of you. They have very many similar similarities. <laughs> I, I don't want to get in the habit of saying similarity, but that's a funny word. Just say it like that. Harity. Harity. <laughs> what am I saying? Sorry. Harry was visited by a desire to seize it and throttle him. Oh, sure. He, I Did I read? I don't know if I read the previous part of the sentence. I'm going to try again. This is you-know-who we're talking about, right? Not you, inquired Ron. He was talking at the chain of the horcrux around his necks. Ne- his necks. His neck. Harry was visited by a desire to seize it and throttle him. You told us that you-know-who asked Dumbledore to give him a job after he left, said Hermione. That's right, said Harry. And Dumbledore thought he only wanted to come back to try and find something, probably another founder's object, to make, in- to make into another horcrux. Yeah, said Harry. But he didn't get the job, did he? Said Hermione. So he never got the chance to find a founder's object there and hide it in the school. Okay, then, said Harry, defeated. Forget Hogwarts. Without any other leads, they traveled into London and, hidden beneath the invisibility cloak, searched for the orphanage in which Voldemort had been raised. Hermione stole into a library and discovered from their records that the place had been demolished many years before. They visited its site and found a tower block of offices. We could try digging in the foundations, said Hermione suggested half-heartedly. He wouldn't have hidden a horcrux here, Harry said. He had known it all along. The orphanage had been the place Voldemort had been determined to escape. He would never have hidden a part of his soul there. Dumbledore had shown Harry the Voldemort Sought grandeur, that Voldemort. Sought grandeur or mystique in his hiding places. This dismal grey corner of London was as far removed as you could imagine from Hogwarts or the Ministry or a building like Gringotts. The Wizarding Bank, with its golden doors and marble floors. Even without any new ideas, they continued to move through the countryside, pitching the tent in different places. <laughs> pitching the tent in a different place each night for security. Every morning they made sure that they had removed all clues to their presence. 
then set off to find another lonely and secluded spot, traveling by apparition to more woods, to the shadowy crevices of cliffs, to purple moors, gorse-covered mountainsides. What's a gorse? And once a sheltered and pebbly cove. Every twelve hours or so, they passed the horcrux between them as though they were playing some perverse slow-motion game of past the parcel, where they dreaded the music stopping because the reward was twelve hours of increased fear and anxiety. Harry's scar kept prickling. It happened most often, he noticed, when he was wearing the horcrux. Sometimes he could not stop himself reacting to the pain. What? What did you see? demanded Ron, whenever he noticed Harry wince. A face, muttered Harry, every time. The same face. The thief who stole from Grigorovich. And Ron would turn away, making no effort to hide his disappointment. Harry knew that Ron was hoping to hear news of his family, or of the rest of the Order of the Phoenix, but after all, he, Harry, was not a television aerial. He could only see what Voldemort was thinking at the time, not tune in to whatever took his fancy. Apparently, Voldemort was dwelling endlessly on the unknown youth with a gleeful face. Youths. Sorry. Whose name and whereabouts, Harry felt sure Voldemort knew no better than he did. As Harry's scar continued to blur, and the merry blonde-haired boy swam tantalizingly in his memory, he learned to suppress any sign of pain or discomfort for the other two showed nothing but impatience at the mention of the thief. He could not entirely blame them, when they were so desperate for a lead on the Horcruxes. As the days stretched into weeks, Harry began to suspect that Ron and Hermione were having conversations without and about him. Several times they stopped talking abruptly when Harry entered the tent, and twice he came accidentally upon them, huddled a little distance away, heads together and talking fast. Both times they fell silent when they realized he was approaching them, and hastened to appear busy collecting wood or water. Harry could not help wondering whether they had only agreed to come on what now felt like a pointless and rambling journey because they thought he had some secret plan that they would learn in due course. Ron was making no effort to hide his bad mood, and Harry was starting to fear that Hermione too was disappointed by his poor leadership. In desperation, he tried to think of further Horcrux locations, but the only one that continued to occur to him was Hogwarts, and as neither of the others thought this at all likely, he stopped suggesting it. Autumn rolled over the countryside as they moved through it. They were now pitching the tent. <laughs> Dang it! Every time I say it, it's hilarious! They were now pitching the tent on mulches of fallen leaves. Nature. <laughs> Natural. <laughs> what am I doing? I was on such a roll. Natural mists. Natural mists. Nash. Na what? Oh, sure, of course, sorry. Natural mists joined those, ca joined those cast by the Dementors. Wind and rain added to their troubles. The fact that Hermione was getting better at identifying edible fungi could not altogether compensate for their continuing isolation. The lack of other people's company or their total ignorance of what was going on in the war against Voldemort. My mother, said Ron one night, as they sat in the tent on the riverbank in Wales, can make good food appear out of thin air. He prodded moodily at the lumps of charred grey fish on his plate. 
Harry glanced automatically at Ron's neck and saw, as he had expected, the golden chain of the Horcruxes glinting there. He managed to fight down the impulse to swear at Ron, whose attitude would, he knew, improve slightly when the time came to take off the locket. "'Your mother can't produce food out of thin air,' said Hermione. "'No one can. Food is the first of the five principal exceptions to Gamp's law of elemental transfigure. "'Oh, speak English, can't you?' "'Friend, I'm going to hurt you. I wish I could slap you through the book, because she is being... She is speaking English. Hello. She's telling you exactly what you want to know. Anyway, Ron said, prizing a fish bone out from between his teeth. It's impossible to make good food out of nothing. You can summon it if you know where it is. You can transform it. You can increase the quantity if you've already got something. Well, don't bother increasing this. It's disgusting, said Ron. Harry caught the fish and I did my best with it. I notice I'm always the one who ends up sorting out the food, because I'm a girl, I suppose. No, it's because you're supposed to be the best at magic, shot back Ron. Hermione jumped up, and bits of roast pike slid off her tin plate onto the floor. You can do the cooking tomorrow, Ron. You can find the ingredients and try and charm them into something worth eating, and I'll sit here and pull faces and moan and see how you hold up. How, I'm sorry. See, and you can see how you... Shut up, said Harry. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up, said Harry, leaping to his feet and holding up both his hands. Shut up now. Hermione looked outraged. How can you side with him? He hardly ever does the... Co- Hermione, be quiet. I can hear someone. He was listening hard, his hands still raised warning them not to talk. Then, over the rush and gush of the dark river beside them, he heard voices again. He looked around at the sneakoscope. It was not moving. You cast the Muffliato charm over us, right? He whispered to Hermione. I did everything, she whispered back. Muffliato, muggle repelling, and disillusionment charms, all of it. They shouldn't be able to hear or see us, whoever they are. Heavy scuffing and scraping, scraping, scraping noises, Plus, the sound of dislodged stones and twigs told them, dislodged. How about crunching? Like, what? Dislodged. Have you ever walked through the woods? What are you talking about? Dislodged. Anyway. Told them that several people were clambering down the steep, wooded slope that descended to the narrow bank. Oh, I see. I'm dumb. Sorry. Where they, had pit- <laughs> where they had pitched the tent. They drew their wands, waiting. The enchantments they had cast around themselves ought to be sufficient in the near-total darkness to shield them from the notice of muggles and normal witches and wizards. If these were Death Eaters, then perhaps their defenses were about to be tested by dark magic for the first time. The voices became louder but no more intelligible as the group of men reached the bank. Harry estimated that their owners were fewer than twenty feet away but the cascading river made it impossible to tell for sure. Hermione snatched, snatched, snatched up the beaded bag and started to rummage. After a moment, she drew out three extendable ears and threw one each to Harry and Ron, who hastily inserted the ends of the flesh-colored strings into their ears and fed the other ends out of the tent entrance. Within seconds, Harry heard a weary male voice. There ought to be a few salmon in here. Or do you reckon it's too early in the season? Accio Salmon! 
There were several distinct splashes, and then the slapping sounds of fish against flesh. Somebody grunted appreciatively. Harry pressed the extendable ear deeper into his own. Over the murmur of the river, he could make out more voices, but they were not speaking English or any human language he had ever heard. It was a rough and unmelodious tongue, a string of rattling, guttural noises, and there seemed to be two speakers, one with a slightly lower, slower voice than the other. Uh-oh, am I supposed to do this? Uh-oh. A fire danced into life on the other side of the canvas. Large shadows passed between tent and flames. The delicious smell of baking salmon wafted tantalizingly in their direction. Then came the clinking of cutlery and plates, and the first man spoke again. I don't know who's supposed to be <coughs> who's supposed to be um lower, slower voice. So I'm just gonna whatever. Here, Griphook, Gornuck, goblins, Hermione mouthed at Harry, who nodded. Thank you, said the goblins together in English. So, you three have been on the run how long? asked a new mellow and pleasant voice. It was vaguely familiar to Harry, who pictured a round-bellied, cheerful-faced man. Six weeks, seven, I forget said the tired man. I don't know who's who. I don't know what kind of voice I'm supposed to do either. Met up with Griphook on the first couple of days and joined forces with Gornuck not long after. Nice to have a bit of company. There was a pause while knives scraped plates and tin mugs were picked up and replaced on the ground. What made you leave, Ted? continued the man. Knew they were coming for me, replied mellow-voiced Ted, and Harry suddenly knew who he was. Tonks's father. Oh, sure. Knew they were coming for me. I don't know how I've done Ted's voice before. I thought it was not mellow, but anyway. (laughs) Her Death Eaters were in the area last week and decided I'd better run for it. Refused to register as Muggleborn on principle, see? So I knew it was a matter of time. Knew I'd have to leave in the end. My wife should be okay. She's pure blood. And then I met Dean here. What, a few days ago, son? Yeah, said another voice, and Harry and Ron, Harry, Ron, and Hermione stared at each other, silent but beside themselves with excitement. Sure, they recognized the voice of Teen Teen Thomas, (laughs) Dean Thomas, their fellow Gryffindor. Muggleborn, eh? asked the first man. Not sure, said Dean. My dad left my mum when I was a kid. I've got no proof he was a wizard, though. There was silence for a while, except for the sounds of munching. Then Ted spoke again. I've got to say, Dirk, I'm surprised to run into you. Pleased, but surprised. Word was you'd been caught. I was, said Dirk. I was halfway to Azkaban when I made a break for it. Stunned Dawlish and nicked his broom. It was easier than you'd think. I don't reckon he's quite right in the moment. Might be confounded. If so... I'd like to shake the hand of the witch or wizard who did it. Probably saved my life. There was another pause in which the fire crackled and the river rushed on. Then Ted said, And where do you two fit in? I, uh, had the impression the goblins were for you-know-who on the whole. You? You had a false impression, said the higher voice. (laughs) Said the higher voiced of the goblins. We take no sides. 
This is a wizard's war. How come you're in hiding, then? I deemed it prudent, said the deeper-voiced goblin. <laughs> Having refused what I considered an impertinent request, I could see that my personal safety was in jeopardy. What did they ask you to do? asked Ted. Duties ill-befitting the dignity of my race, replied the goblin, his voice rougher and less human as he said it. I don't know what that means. I'm not a house elf. What about you, Griphook? Similar reasons, said the higher-voiced goblin. Gringotts is no longer under the sole control of my race. I recognize no wizarding master. He added something under his breath in gobbledygook. Is that supposed to be the name of their language, is gobbledygook? That feels rude. Like, I feel like the name of... Like, why would you call it that? Why wouldn't you just make up a new word? Okay, I'm sorry. Unless it's like a thing from other place? Okay, whatever. Anyway. Anyway! Gornuck laughed. What's the joke? asked Dean. He said... Now, I don't remember who's who. Dirk. Who's Dirk? He said, replied Dirk, that there are things wizards don't recognize either. There was a short pause. I don't get it, said Dean. And now I don't remember who's the higher voice of Grip. Who's Grip? Grip is the higher voice. Okay, (laughs) sorry. I had my small revenge before I left, said Grip Hook in English. Good man, Goblin, I should say, amended Ted hastily. Didn't manage to lock a Death Eater up in one of the old high security vaults, I suppose. If I had, the sword would not have helped him break out replied Griphook. Gornuck laughed again, and even Dirk gave a dry chuckle. Dean and I are still missing something here, said Ted. So is Severus Snape, though he does not know it, said Griphook, and the two goblins roared with malicious laughter. Inside the tent, Harry's breathing was shallow with excitement. He and Hermione stared at each other, listening as hard as they could. Didn't you hear about that, Ted? asked Dirk. About the kids who tried to steal Gryffindor's sword out of Snape's office at Hogwarts? An electric current seemed to course through Harry, jangling his every nerve as he stood rooted to the spot. Never heard a word, said Ted. Not in the prophet, was it? Hardly, chortled Dirk. Chortled Dirk. Griphook here told me he heard about it from Bill Weasley, who works for the bank. One of the kids who tried to make tried to take the sword was Bill's younger sister. Harry glanced toward Hermione and Ron, both of whom were clutching the extendable ears as tightly as lifelines. She and a couple of friends got into Snape's office and smashed open the glass case where he was apparently keeping the sword. Snape caught them as they were trying to smuggle it down the staircase. Ah, God bless him, said Todd. What did they think? That they'd be able to use the sword on you-know-who? Or on Snape himself? Well, whatever they thought they were going to do with it, Snape decided the sword wasn't safe where it was, said Dirk. A couple of days later, once he'd got the safe, say so from you-know-who, I imagine, he sent it down to London to be kept in Gringotts instead. The goblins started to laugh again. I'm still not seeing the joke, said Ted. It's a fake, rasped Griphook. The sword of Gryffindor? Oh, yes, 
It's a copy, an excellent copy. It is true, but it was wizard-made. The original was forged centuries ago by goblins, and had certain properties only goblin-made armor possesses. Wherever the genuine sword of Gryffindor is, it is not in a vault at Gringotts Bank. I see, said Ted. And I take it you didn't bother telling the Death Eaters this? I saw no reason to trouble them with the information, said Griphook smugly. And now Ted and Dean joined in Gornuck and Dirk's laughter. Inside, oh, how nice of them to tell him a little story. Including the laughter. Well, that's what friendship's for when you're on the run because a lunatic is coming for you. Inside the tent, Harry closed his eye. Well, many lunatics because not just Voldemort. It's people who follow him, honestly, that are the problem. But let's continue. Inside the tent, Harry closed his eyes, willing someone to ask the question he needed answered. And after a minute, that seemed... What? A minute that seemed ten. Dean obliged. He was, Harry remembered with a jolt, an ex-boyfriend of Ginny's too. What happened to Ginny and the others, the ones who tried to steal it? Oh, they were punished and cruelly, said Griphook indifferently. They're okay, though, said to asked, I'm sorry, asked Ted quickly. I mean, the Weasleys don't need any more of their kids injured, do they? They suffered no serious injury as far as I'm aware, said Griphook. Lucky for them, said Ted. With Snape's track record, I suppose we should just be glad they're still alive. You believe that story then, do you, Ted? asked Dirk. You believe Snape killed Dumbledore? Of course I do, said Ted. You're not going to sit there and tell me you think Potter had anything to do with it? Hard to know what to believe these days, muttered Dirk. I know Harry Potter, said Dean. And I reckon he's the real thing, the chosen one, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, there's a lot would like to believe he's that son, said Dirk, me included. But where is he? Run for it, by the looks of things. You'd think, if he knew anything we don't, or had anything special going for him, he'd be out there now fighting, rallying resistance instead of hiding. And you know, the prophet made a pretty good case against him. The prophet? scoffed Ted. You deserve to be lied to if you're still reading that muck, Dirk. You want the facts? Try the quibbler. <laughs> there was a sudden explosion of choking and retching, plus a good deal of thumping by the sound of it. Dirk By the sound of it, Dirk had swallowed a fishbone. At last he spluttered The Quibbler? That lunatic rag of Xeno Lovegoods? It's not so lunatic these days, said Ted. You want to give it a look. Zeno is printing all the stuff the prophet's ignoring. Not a single mention of Crumplehorn Snorkax in the last issue. How long they'll let him get away with it, mind, I don't know. But, Zeno says, front page of every issue, that any wizard who's against you-know-who ought, hel- <laughs> ought to make helping Harry Potter their number one priority. Hard to help a boy who's vanished off the face of the earth, said Ahubu, said Dirk. Listen. The fact that they haven't caught him yet's one hell of an achievement, said Ted. I'd take tips from him gladly. It's what we're trying to do. Stay free, isn't it? Yeah, well, you've got a point there, said Dirk heavily. With the whole of the ministry and all their informers looking for him, I'd have expected him to be caught by now. Mind, who's to say they haven't already caught and killed him without publicizing it? Ah, don't say that, Dirk, 
murmured Ted. There was a long pause filled with more clattering of knives and forks. When they spoke again, it was to discuss whether they ought to sleep on the bank or retreat back up and wo- up the wooden s- ha! back up the wooded slope. Deciding the trees would give better cover, they extinguished their fire, then clambered back up the incline, their voices fading away. Harry, Ron, and Hermione reeled in the extendable ears. Harry, who had found the need to remain silent increasingly difficult the longer they eavesdropped, now found himself unable to say more than, Ginny, the sword! I know, said Hermione. She lunged for the tiny beaded bag. This time, sinking her arm, oh goodness, he's up and at him, and it's 20 minutes after six. What are we going to do? I guess I'll give it to him. <laughs> Burr. Okay, so I gave the cat his food, fed him, medicated him. He will become a sedate boy soon. And it's freaking cold in here. I'm cold. I did not check to see what the temp is, but the forecast for next week is in the 50s. So I'm like really looking forward to it. Anyway, okay, where were we? Where were we? All right. Um, yes, Harry found himself unable to say more than Ginny, the sword. I know, said Hermione. She lunged for a tiny bead bag. This time sinking her arm in it right up to the armpit. Here... We are, she said, between gritted teeth, and she pulled at something that was evidently in the depths of the bag. Slowly, the edge of an ornate picture frame came into sight. Harry hurried to help her, as they lifted the empty portrait of Phineas Nigelis, free of Hermione's bag. She kept her wand pointing at it, ready to cast a spell at any moment. If somebody swapped the real sword for the fake, while it was in Dumbledore's office, she panted, as they propped the painting against the side of the tent. Phineas Nigelus would have seen it happen. He hangs right beside the case. Unless he was asleep, said Harry. But he was still held but he still held his breath as Hermione knelt down in front of the empty canvas. Her wand, directed at its center, cleared her throat, then said, Uh Phineas? Phineas Nigelus? Nothing happened. Phineas Nigelus, said Hermione again. Professor Black, please, could we talk to you, please? Please always helps, said a cold, snide voice. And Phineas Nigelus slid into his portrait. At once Hermione cried, Obscuro! And a, bla- a black blindfold appeared over Phineas Nigelus's clever, dark eyes, causing him to bump into the frame and shriek with pain. What? How dare? What are you? I'm very sorry, Professor Black, said Hermione, but it's a necessary precaution. Remove this foul edition at once. Remove it, I say. You are ruining a great work of art. Where am I? What is going on? Never mind where we are, said Harry, and Phineas Nigelus froze abandoning his attempts to peel off the painted blindfold. Can that possibly be the voice of the elusive Mr. Potter? Maybe, said Harry, knowing that this would keep Phineas Nidalus's interest. We've got a couple of questions to ask you about the sort of Gryffindor. Ah, said Phineas Nidalus, now turning his head this way and that, in an effort to catch sight of Harry. Yes, that silly girl acted most unwisely there. Shut up about my sister, said Ron roughly. Phineas Nigelus, is, Phineas Nigelus raised supercilious eyebrows. Who else is here? 
He who who you I'm saying he's demanding it. I'm going to repeat that. Who else is here? He asked, turning his head from side to side. Your tone displeases me. The girl and her friends were foolhardy in the extreme, thieving from the headmaster. They weren't thieving, said Harry. That sword isn't Snape's. It belongs to Professor Snape's school, said Phineas Nigelus. Exactly what claim did the Weasley girl have upon it? She deserved her punishment, as did the idiot Longbottom and the love-good oddity. Neville is not an idiot, and Luna is not an oddity, said Hermione. Where am I? repeated Phineas Nigelus, starting to wrestle with the blindfold again. Where have you brought me? Why have you removed me from the house of my forebears? Never mind that. How did Snape punish Ginny, Neville, and Luna? asked Harry urgently. Professor Snape sent them into the Forbidden Forest to do some work for the oaf Hagrid. Hagrid's not an oaf, said Hermione shrilly. And Snape might have thought that was a punishment, said Harry, but Ginny, Neville, and Luna probably had a good laugh with Hagrid. The Forbidden Forest, they've faced plenty worse than the Forbidden Forest. Big deal. He felt relieved. He had been imagining horrors. The Cruciatus Curse, at the very least. What we really wanted to know, Professor Black, is whether anyone else, um, taken out, has anyone else, I don't like the way this is written, and I do not know who's talking. I think it's Hermione. I'm going with Hermione. What we really want to, wanted to know, Professor Black, is whether anyone else has, um, taken out the sword at all. Maybe it's been taken away for cleaning or, or something? Phineas Nigelus paused again in his struggles to free his hand, his eyes, free his hands, to free his eyes, and sniggered. <laughs> Muggle-borns, he said. Goblin-made armor does not require cleaning, simple girl. Goblin silver repels mundane dirt, imbibing only that which strengthens it. Don't call Hermione simple, said Harry. I grow weary of contradiction, said Phineas Nigelus. Perhaps it is time for me to return to the headmaster's office. Still blindfolded, he began groping the side of his frame, trying to feel his way out of his picture and back into the one at, Hog at Hogwarts. Harry had a sudden inspiration. Dumbledore! Can't you bring us Dumbledore? I beg your pardon, said Phineas Nigelus. Professor Dumbledore's portrait. Couldn't you bring him along here into yours? Phineas Nigelus turned his face in the direction of Harry's voice. Evidently, it is not only Muggleborns who are ignorant, Potter. The portraits of Hogwarts... What? The portraits of Hogwarts may consume... Consume? May commune with each other. But they cannot travel outside the castle except to visiting a painting of themselves hanging elsewhere. Dumbledore cannot come here with me, and after the treatment I have received at your hands, I can assure you that I shall not be making a return visit. Slightly crestfallen, Harry watched Phineas redouble his attempts to leave his frame. Professor Black, said Hermione, couldn't you just tell us, please, when was the last time the sword was taken out of its case? Before Ginny took it out, I mean. <laughs> Phineas, <laughs> that was my attempt at a snort impatiently. Phineas snorted impatiently. I believe that the last time I saw the sword of Gryffindor leave its case was when Professor Dumbledore used it to break open a ring. Hermione whipped around to look at Harry. Neither of them dared say more in front of Phineas Nigelus, who had at last managed to locate the exit. Well, good night to you, he said a little waspishly, and began 
to move out of sight again. Only the edge of his... Why am I making that sound with my noise? Oh my god, what am I saying? Okay, I'm going to continue talking. Hopefully my voice, my face, my brain can connect all the dots. Only the edge of his hat brim remained in view when Harry gave a sudden shout. Wait, have you told Snape you saw this? Phineas Nigelus stuck his blindfolded head back into the picture. Professor Snape has more important things on his mind than the many eccentricities of Albus Dumbledore. Goodbye, Potter. And with that, he vanished completely, leaving behind him nothing but his murky backdrop. Harry, Hermione cried. I know, Harry shouted. <laughs> Unable to contain himself, he punched the air. Yeah, fist pump. It was more than he had dared to hope for. He strode up and down the tent, feeling that he could have run a mile. He did not even feel hungry anymore. Hermione was squashing Phineas Nigelis's portrait back into the beaded bag. When she had fastened the clasp, she threw the bag aside and raised a shining face to Harry. The sword can destroy horcruxes. Goblin-made blades imbibe only that which strengthens th that which strengthened them. Harry, that sword's impregnated with basilisk venom. And Dumbledore didn't give it to me because he still needed it. He wanted to use it on the locket. And he must have realized they wouldn't let you have it if he put it in his will. So he made a copy and put a fake in the glass case. And he left the real one. Where? They gazed at each other. Harry felt the answer was dangling invisibly in the air above them, tantalizingly close. Why hadn't Dumbledore told him? Or had he, in fact, told Harry, but Harry had not realized it at the time? Think, whispered Hermione. Think. Where would he have left it? Not at Hogwarts, said Harry, resuming his pacing. Somewhere in Hogsmeade, suggested Hermione. The Shrieking Shack, said Harry. Nobody ever goes in there, but Snape knows how to get in. Wouldn't that be a bit risky? Dumbledore trusted Snape, Harry reminded her. Not enough to tell him that he had swapped the swords, said Hermione. Yeah, you're right, said Harry, and he felt even more cheered at the thought that Dumbledore had had some reservations, however faint, about Snape's trustworthiness. So, would he have hidden the sword well away from Hogsmeade then? What do you reckon, Ron? Ron? Harry looked around. For one bewildered moment, he thought that Ron had left the tent, then realized that Ron was lying in the shadow of a lower bunk, looking stony. Oh, remembered me, have you? he said. What? Ron snorted as he stared up at the unders... <laughs> what am I saying? Underside of the upper bunk. You two carry on. Don't let me spoil your fun. Perplexed, Harry looked to Hermione for help, but she shook her head, apparently as nonplussed as he was. What's the problem? asked Harry. Problem? There's no problem, said Ron, still refusing to look at Harry. Not according to you, anyway. Hmm. Swig. There were several plunks on the canvas over their heads. It had started to rain. Well, you're obviously, you've obviously got a problem, said Harry. Spit it out, will you? Ron swung his long legs off the bed and sat up. He looked mean, unlike himself. All right, I'll spit it out. Don't expect me to skip up and down the tent because there's some other damn thing we've got to find. 
Just add it to the list of stuff you don't know. I don't know, repeated Harry. I don't know. Plunk, plunk, plunk. The rain was falling harder and heavier. It, sp it pattered on the leaf-strewn bank all around them and into the river, chattering through the dark. Dread doused Harry's jubilation. Ron was saying exactly what he had suspected and feared him to be thinking. It's not like I'm having the time of my life here, said Ron. You know, with my arm mangled and nothing to eat and freezing my backside off every night. I just hoped, you know, after we'd been running around a few weeks, we'd have achieved something. Ron, Hermione said, but in such a quiet voice that Ron could, could pretend not to have heard it over the loud tattoo the rain was now beating on the tent. Eh? But a tattoo, if it was a tattoo, it would pierce the tent. Okay, whatever. Because obviously that's the whole point. Is they're piercing the skin. Okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. I thought you knew what you'd signed up for, said Harry. Yeah, I thought I did too. So what part of it isn't living up to your expectations? Asked Harry. Anger was coming to his defense now. Did you think we'd be staying in five-star hotels? Finding a horcrux every other day? Did you think you'd be back to mummy by Christmas? We thought you knew what you were doing, shouted Ron, standing up, and his words pierced Harry like scalding knives. We thought Dumbledore had told you what to do. We thought you had a real plan. Ron, said Hermione, this time clearly audible over the rain thundering on the tent roof. Ruff, rough. How does one say this word? I do not know. But again, he ignored her. Well, sorry to let you down. Well, sorry to let you down, said Harry, his voice quite calm, even though he felt hollow, inadequate. I've been straight with you from the start. I told you everything Dumbledore told me. And in case you haven't noticed, we found one Horcrux. Yeah, and we're about as near getting rid of it as we are to finding the rest of them. Nowhere effing near, in other words. Take off the locket, Ron, Hermione said. Take off? I don't know how to do a high voice. I can't do it. Take off the locket, Ron, Hermione said, her voice unusually high. Please take it off. You wouldn't be talking like this if you hadn't been wearing it all day. Yeah, he would, said Harry, who did not want excuses made for Ron. Do you think I haven't noticed the two of you whispering behind my back? Do you think I didn't guess you were thinking this stuff? Harry, we weren't. Don't lie, Ron hurled at her. You said it too. You said you were disappointed. You said you thought he had a bit more to go on than... I didn't say it like that, Harry. I didn't, she cried. The rain was pounding the tent. Tears were pouring down Hermione's face, and the excitement of a few minutes before had vanished as if it had never been. A short-lived firework that had flared and died, leaving everything dark, wet, and cold. The sword of Gryffindor was hidden they knew not where, and they were three teenagers in a tent whose only achievement was not, yet, to be dead. So, why are you still here? Harry asked Ron. Search me, said Ron. Go home then, said Harry. Yeah, maybe I will, shouted Ron. And he took several steps toward Harry, who did not back away. Didn't you hear what they said about my sister? But you don't give a rat's fart, do you? It's only... <laughs> but you don't give a rat's fart, do you? It's only the Forbidden Forest. Harry, I've faced worse. Potter doesn't care what happens to her in there. Well, I do, all right? 
giant spiders and mental stuff. I was only saying she was with the others. They were with Hagrid. Yeah, I get it. You don't care. And what about the rest of my family? The Weasleys don't need another kid injured. Did you hear that? Yeah, I not bothered what it meant, though. Ron, said Hermione, forcing her way between them. I don't think it means anything new has happened. Anything we don't know about. Think, Ron. Bill's already scarred. Plenty of people must have seen that George has lost an ear by now, and you're supposed to be on your deathbed with Spattergroit. I'm sure that's all he meant. Oh, you're sure, are you? Right then, well, I won't bother myself about them. It's all right for you two, isn't it? With your parents safely out of the way. My parents are dead, Harry bellowed. And mine could be going the same way, yelled Ron. Then go, Harry, go back to them. Pretend you've got over your spatter, Goy, and Mummy will be able to feed you up and... Ron made a sudden movement. Harry reacted. But before either wand was clear of its owner's pocket, Hermione had raised her own. Protego, she cried, and an invisible shield expanded between her and Harry on the other... On, oh, blah, 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 her and Harry on the one side and Ron on the other. All of them were forced backward a few steps by the strength of the spell and Harry and Ron glared from either side of the transparent barrier as though they were seeing each other clearly for the first time. Harry felt, his, felt a corrosive hatred toward Ron. Something had broken between them. Leave the horcrux, Harry said. Ron wrenched the chain from over his head and cast the locket into a nearby chair. He turned to Hermione. What are you doing? What do you mean? Are you staying, or what? I... She looked anguished. Yes. Yes, I'm staying. Ron, we said we'd go with Harry. We said we'd help. I get it. You choose him. Ron, no, please. Come back. Come back. She was impeded by her own shield charm. By the time she had removed it, he had already stormed into the night. Harry stood quite still and silent, listening to her sobbing and calling Ron's name amongst the trees. After a few minutes, she returned her sopping hair plastered to her face. He's g g gone! Disapparated! She threw herself into a chair, curled up, and started to cry. Harry felt dazed. He stooped, picked up the horcrux, and placed it around his own neck. He dragged blankets off Ron's bunk, threw them over Hermione. Then, he climbed onto his own bed and stared up at the dark canvas roof, roof listening to the pounding of the rain. And that is the end of chapter 15.